Before we get into today's Reddit stories, I first of all need to tell you about one of my other favorite Reddit podcasts out there, The OKOP Show. If you guys are looking for even more daily Reddit content, then The OKOP Show with John and Sam is perfect for you. Just search for the letters OKOP wherever you get your pods. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What is going on everyone and welcome to the final episode the grand finale in the kevin in a big rig series This is it episode 7. It all ends today in this episode I personally cannot wait to see the culmination of one of the greatest stories i've ever read And I know you guys can't either so without further ado Make sure you are subscribed you're following drop this one a like let's get into it This is the final part in the kevin in a big rig series backstory This installment begins immediately after the events in part 8. It wasn't long after leaving that truck stop in Wisconsin that I began regretting my decision to push on. It seemed as if the storm had been watching us since we left Lewiston and decided to lay a trap for us once we crossed back into Minnesota on that remote two-lane highway. Every moment that passed brought heavier snowfall, falling temperatures, and winds that threatened to push the truck into the ditch and leave us stranded. Even as the sun went down and the sky turned to pitch black, there was no sign that the storm was inclined to show mercy. On the contrary, it seemed dead set on punishing me for the hell that I'd unleashed upon the company a few days before. Karma can be a female dog like that. I've learned that during times of life-threatening conditions beyond the control of mortal humans, people have one of two reactions. Many, unable to cope with having their fate in hands other than their own, become overwhelmed with anxiety and give in to irrational panic. Those who are unwilling to simply resign themselves to whatever fate may have in store will stop at nothing until they find a way to cheat fate long enough to make an escape. That night, I knew that giving into fear would more than likely end in our deaths. At the very least, we'd be stranded in the middle of nowhere until someone dug us out of several feet of snow. Maintaining control of both myself and the truck was non-negotiable if I wanted to see the next morning. Since fear and panic would serve no purpose, I disengaged the emotional parts of my mind and relied purely on instinct, skill, and training. As the night wore on and the conditions steadily worsened, I could feel my control of the situation waning with each mile that passed by. The increasingly heavy snowfall limited visibility to a couple dozen meters and the wind hammered against the trailer as if it were the sail of a tall ship. The narrow roads offered very little margin for error and the strong wind gusts required precise corrections in order to keep all 18 wheels on the asphalts. The headlights, to their credit, did their best to light the way forward, but with the combined onslaught of dense snow both falling from the sky and being blown in front of the truck, they hampered visibility almost as often as they assisted. As visibility oscillated between meters to inches and back within the span of seconds, I had to rely on instinct and timing to keep the truck between the ditches. 
At times, the snow was so thick that even the beams from the headlights disappeared completely underneath a blanket of white powder. To say that I wasn't tempted to abandon the trip and take my chances with keeping Kevin out of the seat would be a complete lie. I don't know how many suitable parking places I passed that night. Many I very nearly took advantage of, only to change my mind at the last second and push deeper into the storm. When I passed a small mum and pop truck stop, that, in spite of the frozen tempest, was still open, offering food, shelter, and safe harbour, I was convinced that I'd gone completely insane. Who in their right mind would forego sanctuary when the odds were so heavily stacked against him? That would be me, apparently. Each time the temptation of seeking shelter crossed my mind, I was immediately reminded that we were well off the beaten path as far as safety was concerned. Kevin, completely oblivious as to what was waiting for us, wouldn't think twice before diving headfirst into the storm until he received an order to shut down that I knew would never come. His needlessly heavy braking, teeth rattling gear changes, and inability to drive five minutes without taking his eyes off the road to check his notebook would slash our chances of making it through the night from remote to non-existence. The only way to keep Kevin out of the driver's seat, short of killing him, was to make sure my backside didn't leave it. For me, the entire night was an unending exercise in keeping my growing fear in check. Before that night, the most terrifying situation I could remember being in was the time I was doing my solo cross-country flight as part of the training for my pilot's license. That day, I found myself alone in a small airplane, dodging an intense line of thunderstorms while being almost completely lost. I mention it here because during that long snow-laden hell, my mind kept going back to that day of dodging thunderstorms. I made it out of that nightmare alive and arriving at my destination before the storms overtook me by sticking to my training. Keep calm, avoid areas of limited visibility, use everything I had to find the runway and get on the ground as quickly as possible. Strange as it sounds, remembering that brush with death at the hands of mother nature brought me some small amount of comfort. I made it out of that death trap alive so I could surely make it through this one. Driving through a blizzard isn't a skill they teach at CDL school. However, the ability to operate in limited visibility on slick roads and high winds are all concepts included in the training. I'd faced all three challenges before that night in a truck. This was simply the first time I had to deal with all three at once. Fortunately, all three problems required the same solution. Slow down, maintain a stable speed, and avoid rapid changes in speed and direction. It was something that my instructors at the school, as well as my trainer, had emphasized heavily. Fortunately for me and Kevin, I paid attention in class. I don't know exactly how long I pushed through that ice-covered nightmare. There were times when the truck felt as if it were about to give up and skid off the road, only to oblige my corrections and keep going for just a bit longer. Each time I came upon a bridge or overpass, my sphincter would tighten up so quick that it felt as though my butt cheeks were biting holes into the seats. Whenever the truck dropped into a small valley, the cross-current snowdrifts resulted in a few heart-stopping moments of complete blindness until the truck climbed out through the far side. With each passing moment, a new threat presented itself. And each time, I did my best to push through. Call it skill, luck, relentless stubbornness, or divine intervention. One guess would be as good as the other. Regardless, with less than 10 minutes left until reaching the company's main terminal, the blizzard had finally begun to tire itself out. The snow continued to fall in heavy sheets, but the wind had abated to more manageable levels and the visibility improved dramatically. 
As the remote countryside gave way to the outermost edges of the town, white and orange streetlights revealed what resembled a post-apocalyptic cityscape. Every store, gas station, and restaurant was dark and empty, as if the entire town had been evacuated. When I finally pulled into that terminal parking lot, set the truck brakes, and put myself off duty, I didn't feel relieved or grateful. In fact, I don't remember feeling anything. I sat in the driver's seat for a good half hour, smoking a cigarette in an attempt to bring myself back from whatever trance I'd fallen into. I watched the snow through the windshield while trying to come to grips with what had taken place over the past few hours. Winter had thrown everything it had at me, and despite even my own predictions, I made it out alive and in one piece. I didn't break out in tears, nor did I feel the need to shout in triumph. I was simply exhausted, mentally and physically. When the need to pee came upon me, I got out of the truck. Being late at night, all of the offices and shops were closed, but the company maintained a 24-hour restroom and shower facility at the shop for drivers camped out at the terminal. However, at the moment I needed to make use of the facility, it was closed for cleaning. That is, there was a wet floor sign in the middle of the restroom, a chain across the door, and not a single living soul inside. The floor was covered with melted snow and dirt, much like that on the bottom of my boots. No harm in soiling what's already dirty, I think, so I go inside and relieve myself. On the way out, as luck would have it, the shop assistant who'd been assigned to clean that particular restroom came back from whatever had interrupted his job. When he saw me, he apparently took my trespass on his workspace as a personal affront. Hey, he said, with a tone that would make any Karen jealous. Are you stupid? Can't you read the freaking sign? I, not missing a beat, reply, Would you rather I stand at the door and pee on the floor, you jerk? I was not in any mood to deal with a bad attitude at that point. The assistant gets into a huff. You dang drivers, I get so tired of your BS. He never finished his sentence, as I, a good deal larger than him, got right in his face, looked him dead in the eye, and raised a finger in warning. Don't screw with me, you idiot. Not tonight, I warn him. After the hell I just went through, I had no intention of allowing some self-important peon to tell me I couldn't relieve an empty bladder because my dirty boots would make his dirty floor even dirtier. Back outside, I light another cigarette and stand beneath the awning, watching the snow fall through the lamplights. Then, as is habit, I take out my phone. I see an unread email. It must have come during the drive. I didn't realize. It was from my fleet manager, and I suddenly was reminded as to why I'd made that nightmare of a journey. That email, I knew, would set the stage for the fight I had been waiting for. Where, when, who, and what would be involved would be outlined in that message. For the past few days, I'd considered every possible contingency of the meeting and felt more than ready. In my point of view, I held all the cards and controlled the terms. Any threats or attempts at coercion, and they would quickly find themselves in a world of hurt. I was ready for anything, and I opened the email. OP. When you get to the terminal, move on to truck 3456 and meet with driver Bob, ID 9123, not his real name. We'll send instructions in the morning, signed fleet manager. Okay, I wasn't ready for that. I wanted a new partner, true enough, but I had no idea they'd move that quickly. I didn't know who Bob was or why I was being assigned to his truck. Maybe he did? One way to find out. I go back to the truck. Kevin had been asleep during the entire trip from Wisconsin to the terminal. Just as well, since any snarky comment from him during that blizzard might have been made with his last breath. Now he was wide awake and poring over the computer. 
Where are we? He asked. I go straight to the bunk and begin packing my gear. Main terminal. Fleet manager called me earlier and told me to get here right away. What's the deal? At this point, I could have let him in on what he might expect. However, I believe that finding oneself in a fair fight is a sign of poor tactics. I don't know, but I've been assigned to another truck. Kevin said nothing. He'd been completely taken by surprise and had no idea what he was likely in for. Then again, neither did I. I expected to go a few rounds with safety the next morning, and now I'm packing my bags for a new truck? Kevin simply got out of the truck, and I never saw him again. I packed my belongings, left my key in the glove box, and left the truck for the last time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A few moments later, I'm knocking on the door of a new truck. Are you Bob? I asked the driver when he answers. Yeah, he said, rubbing his eyes since I'd just woken him up. Are you OP? That's me, I reply and climb aboard. Sorry to wake you. We just got here. At first, this doesn't register with him. Then he realizes what I just told him. Wait, you drove through that? I take a deep breath. Yeah, I uh, wouldn't recommend it if you're curious. You must be nuts, he said. You have no idea. I guess we're partners now, I say. But Bob screws his face at me. No, he said confused. My partner is waiting for me in Pennsylvania. I was supposed to leave out yesterday afternoon, but the fleet manager called me and told me to wait for you. I figured that you'd know what the deal was. I gave him the basic rundown of what happened with my now former co-driver, how I reported him to safety and now relayed back to the main terminal. Dang, man, he replied. Sounds like a rough gig. Understatement of the year, I think. The next morning, the weather had broken. The sky was dull and threatened to bring more snow, but the wind had dulled to a gentle breeze. As soon as she was in the office, fleet manager gave me a call. Hey, OP, she said, sounding a bit nervous. Where are you guys at? Sitting in the yard. Wait, she replied, sounding a little confused. You made it in last night? Sure did. What in God's name possessed you to drive through that storm? I take a deep breath. It would be best if I didn't elaborate on that point. She wanted to press for more information, but decided not to. Uh Uh-huh. Did you meet up with Bob and move to his truck? Sure did. What's the deal? You and Bob are going to take a load to the terminal in Pennsylvania. His co-driver will meet him there. I'm going to have you pick up another truck and we'll go from there. Okay, I respond cautiously. Am I going to meet my new co-driver up there too? No, we haven't found you one yet. Just check in with me when you get there and we'll see what happens. No problem. We hang up and I fill Bob in on our new marching orders. The company's terminal in Pennsylvania was about a day and a half with two drivers. Fortunately, Bob had already picked up the load before the storm hit, so all we had to do was to get rolling. Since the truck was permanently assigned to Bob and he just finished his stint with his trainer, I offer him the first drive shift so he can get used to the truck. As we head out, I got to see the full impact from the previous night's storm. About 24 inches of snow had fallen in just under 12 hours. Every five minutes, we saw cars spun out and abandoned in ditches and center medians. 
At nearly every overpass we came upon, there was at least one vehicle that had lost control and collided with the barrier. There were even semis, jackknifed and abandoned, where they'd hit deadly patches of black ice. Severe winter weather was common in this part of the country, and even the local residents didn't fare well. When I saw the carnage from the very storm I traversed, I realized just how much danger I'd been in and how lucky we had been that Kevin had not been the one driving. Holy heck, Bob said after we passed a semi that had left the road and was now laying on its side. You drove through this. I take a deep breath. Yep. For being an inexperienced driver, Bob knew his stuff. For the first time since I finished my time with my trainer, I was riding with someone who actually knew what the heck they were doing. I'd known Bob for only a few hours, but I felt more comfortable with him at the wheel than I ever did with Kevin, and I told him as much. We top off the tanks at the first fuel stop, I grab a bite of breakfast, and head back to the bunk to rest up for my night shift. The rest of the trip to Pennsylvania, I'm happy to say, was uneventful. Wow. Can you believe it, guys? OP, chilling at the back of the truck, actually able to relax, their co-driver doing a good job. I never thought I'd see the day. When Bob and I arrived at the Pennsylvania terminal, we say our goodbyes and I go sign out my new truck. I move aboard, store my belongings and log into the computer before sending a message to my fleet manager that I'm ready to go. An hour later, she sends me a load. Pick up the next morning from a nearby shipper with delivery in Missouri. She says to expect a diversion back to the main terminal along the way, but she'll let me know for sure before the time comes. I confirm the instructions and set the computer aside. For a long time, I sat in the driver's seat and looked around the truck. I was all alone. Kevin was a thousand miles away and, for the time being at least, I'd won a battle with management before it had even started. And then, for a reason I can't fully explain, I started to laugh. Whether it was out of relief, of simply submitting to the absurdity of the situation, it felt as though a huge burden had been lifted off of my shoulders and things were beginning to look up. I ended up taking the load all the way to Missouri alone. In fact, I worked solo for the next two weeks and all I can say is, it was heaven. I felt in complete control. I never had to worry about waking up on the shoulder of a highway, not getting an hour of sleep before being dragged out of bed to help Kevin out of another jam, and no more of having my head bounced off a cabinet because of a hard brake check. It was what I'd hoped trucking would be, and I was enjoying every minute of it. After a few days into my solo period, I get a surprise phone call from the last person I ever expected to hear from. Kevin was reaching out. Hey man, Kevin said, sounding less confrontational and, unless I was mistaken, anxious. What are you up to? On my way to Texas, running solo. Cool. I need a favor. Okay. Can you call safety and tell them I said I'd been in a coma for 21 hours? What? I say, shocked. You told me 21 days, countless times. Look, man, this is important. He then goes into a long sob story. According to him, him and his wife went through a nasty divorce. His wife had been granted full custody of their two kids. He also said that he'd been to court and the judge ordered him to come back in a year with gainful employment or he'd be sent to jail. I assume that it pertained to spousal or child support, though I don't know for certain. He signed on with the company because they were the only place that would hire him. Well, I reply, it doesn't really sound like something I can help with, but if safety calls, I'll see what I can do. The poor guy had no idea who'd put him in this position. I hung up and I never heard from him again. I went about having the time of my life. 
Not only was I having the time of my life, the fact that I didn't have to waste so much time correcting Kevin's mistakes meant that I was able to make my pickups and deliveries on time, stay on course, and complete my loads without a single issue. In fact, I didn't need dispatch for anything more than sending load information. I didn't even talk to my fleet manager for a week and a half before she called me out of the blue. Hey, OP, she said, sounding a little curious. How's everything going? Hey, FM, everything's going fine. What's up? Oh, nothing, she replied, relieved and now sounding rather chipper. I haven't heard from you in a while. Well, I say, trying to make it clear I was joking. No offense, but I haven't needed to call you. That's good to hear. Uh, When you and Kevin were together, he was calling me about once a day, needing directions, getting lost. Well, I'm not Kevin. No, you're not. Anyway, I'm going to work on getting you home for a few days. I found you a co-driver and I'm going to have you pick him up when you come back to work. He doesn't live too far from you. I'll admit I was disappointed by this news. I was thoroughly enjoying being on my own, but I also knew that solo assignments didn't last long. The company relied on expedited freight loads with tight deadlines that required two drivers to make on-time delivery running solo was only allowed as a short-term measure to allow trucks to keep working until a second driver could be found a few days after the phone call from my fleet manager i go home and spend four days sleeping in my own bed sitting on my couch and watching my tv yeah sounds pretty boring i know but after three months of hell with kevin There was nowhere else I wanted to be. The four days passed all too quickly and I was assigned to head back out on the road. I met up with my second co-driver. We'll call him New Guy. Like Bob, the new guy had just completed his month with a trainer and was ready to be a co-driver. While less experienced, he was still a competent enough driver. There's not much more I can say about him. He and I were only partners for a couple of months before he decided to leave for a better job. He wasn't under the same contract as me and I didn't blame him for leaving, so we parted on good terms. By now, you're probably wondering, what happened to Kevin? When did you and Safety have the Battle Royale? How much damage did the nuclear email actually do? The truth is, I was asking myself those very same questions for the two and a half months between the last time I saw Kevin and the time the new guy went on to greener pastures. I decided not to pry, thinking my little nuclear attack probably painted a target on my back and discretion was the better part of valor. After all, I got what I wanted. Kevin was long gone as far as I was concerned, and no matter what he did, he was someone else's problem. Was I curious? Sure, just not enough to stretch my neck and find out. When the new guy left, I found myself back in the same position I'd been in before. No suitable co-driver was available. By this time, the company had begun to crack down on solo drivers, and I was routed back to the main terminal until something could be figured out. The day I arrive back at the main terminal, I meet with my fleet manager to go over my options. Before that, however, she pulls me into another office with the safety director. When I see the name plaque on the door, a cold chill ran up my spine. It wasn't the battle I'd been waiting for. In fact, the reason they wanted to meet me had nothing to do with the nuclear email. They actually offered me a promotion to lead driver. At first, I wasn't sure that I wanted to deal with more idiot drivers after barely surviving Kevin, but the only other option was to bounce from truck to truck until a permanent co-driver could be found, a prospect I found equally uncomfortable. I asked for a little time to think about it and they obliged. I gave my old trainer a call to get his advice. My trainer and I stayed in touch and became good friends. He suggested I go for it since I'd be the boss and could, within reason, boot a bad student off the truck if he proved too dangerous. 
I hadn't considered that and I ultimately decided to take the job. Later that afternoon, I was back in my fleet manager's office getting paperwork ready for my new job. While we were waiting for Sadie to approve the promotion, I decided to ask, so what's Kevin been up to? She buries her face in her hands. Those five words had reopened a nasty wound. Trying to control her frustration, she told me what happened after I left with Bob to Pennsylvania. While I was sent on what was a vacation by comparison, Kevin had been tasked with completing the load we'd picked up in Lewiston. However, in typical Kevin fashion, he got lost almost as soon as he left the terminal. I know like we've gone through this, guys, and I'm sorry to interject here, but once again, I have to just state, I cannot believe how bad this guy is at his job. One of the main things that you have to be good at if you're a truck driver is surely navigation or at least following directions. The number of times Kevin has got lost in like, unbelievable circumstances is genuinely mind-boggling. Does anyone know? Seriously, get in the comments down below. Does anyone know of anyone that is as bad as Kevin at their job? Please let me know. Don't make it political, but genuinely let me know. It's insane. Anyway, let's get back into it. Kevin had gotten so far off course that the GPS locator on the truck couldn't even be found by dispatch. Oh my goodness, there we go. It took him an entire day to get back on track, only to do the exact same thing twice before finally making delivery two days late. I'm, I'm just lost for words. The next day, they sent him another load assignment, but had to cancel it because he couldn't find the pickup location, despite the fact that it was less than a mile away. Every sentence gets more and more unbelievable. It was at that point that safety decided to pull him back in until they could get to the bottom of the situation. When he got lost again on the way back, they had him leave the truck in a truck stop and catch a ride with another truck. So now, this truck driver cannot even be trusted to drive a truck. That's where we are. Why did they send him back out after the nuclear email? While I never got a solid confirmation, the rumor is that the safety department used it as an experiment just to see if my claims had any merit. Needless to say, they find out real quick that I wasn't BSing them. If they didn't believe that Kevin was a menace before, they couldn't deny it now. The question was what to do with him. They pulled him in for a meeting to get to the bottom of the issue. When asked about why he kept getting lost, he maintained that he was following the company routes. They then asked about why he couldn't find a shipper less than a mile away. He said he was waiting for the company to send directions. As the meeting wore on, Kevin became more and more worrisome. In his opinion, it was the job of the dispatch office to tell him every move to make, something that was utterly impossible since one dispatcher was often charged with dozens of other trucks and couldn't be expected to babysit each of them. Drivers have to be able to work out issues for themselves and think on their feet when problems arise. Kevin wasn't able to be independent and whenever the situation required it of him, he ended up in trouble. Everything that took place led to one irrefutable conclusion. Kevin was either medically or mentally unfit to operate a commercial vehicle. Yes, I think we probably knew that by this point. They dug into the claim about the 21-day coma but found no mention of it in his paperwork. Despite the fact that two credible witnesses provided corroborating accounts, it wasn't in his file. When they questioned him, he denied it at first, but a brief investigation discovered the truth. It was a 21-day coma. How did Kevin manage to slip through the cracks, get a CDL, and go for four months before being caught? Well, in simple terms, he lied. In order to get a CDL, one must have a DOT medical certificate. 
Part of the process of getting that certificate is completing a rather lengthy questionnaire about medical history, drug or alcohol dependency, illnesses, medical conditions, etc. One of these questions asks the applicant to describe any brain or neurological injury or condition. Another more generic and subjective question asks if the applicant had any other condition that would interfere with the safe operation of a commercial motor vehicle. Kevin, like all other new hires, received a DOT physical soon after he arrived at the training facility where he filled out the questionnaire form, a form that is controlled by the federal government and, per regulation, the company retained on file. As it happened, Kevin had not told the medical examiner about the coma. When they asked him about it, he tried to backpedal and say it was 21 hours, But when they checked his medical records, I don't know how they did this without violating confidentiality laws, they learned that it was, in fact, 21 days. And with that, Kevin's fate was sealed. He had lied on a government document and obtained a medical certificate and CDL through fraudulent means. After realizing this, the company had no choice but to report the incident to the Department of Transportation. The DOT, in turn, revoked Kevin's medical certificate, rendering his CDL invalid. This was also reported to the DMV of the state that issued his license, and, per state law, the state also revoked his CDL. The company had no choice but to fire him. Kevin had sabotaged his own driving career on day one. Now, that is valid, OP, although I would say, surely there's no way he would have gotten his license after being in a coma for 21 days anyway although maybe he would i mean maybe he would just say he was in a coma for three weeks then they'd have to do further testing to see if it had any lasting impact on his ability to drive a truck yeah you're right actually the fact is he did lie therefore he had to be fired Hmm, who knows what would have happened if he told the truth my fleet manager after saying all this admitted she had her doubts about him early on due to an incident that happened just before he and i paired up He was running solo and was supposed to deliver a load in Indianapolis. For whatever reason, he couldn't find the receiver and, according to GPS pings, actually drove around in circles for two full days before someone noticed and asked what was going on. When they finally had the issue straightened out, they noticed that, during the entire two-day period, Kevin was less than two miles from the delivery point, driving around in circles. My fleet manager had hoped that another partner would straighten him out, But when it was clear that wasn't happening, all she could do was apologize to me. But the story doesn't end with Kevin destroying his own career. I made a few friends in the company's head office who were there when the nuclear email hit. And over a period of several months, I was able to piece together the full story and fallout of the nuclear email. Bear in mind, it is mostly secondhand information, but they claimed it to be true. After being informed of Kevin's fraud, the DOT wanted to know how someone like him could slip through so easily. When asked how the issue was discovered, the company showed my email to the DOT, who in turn went ballistic. The company, hoping to avoid being prosecuted for negligence, cooperated by conducting an internal audit of the company's policies and procedures. They found several serious shortcomings in many departments right down to the recruiter who processed and approved Kevin's application. Apparently, the application was approved before a basic motor vehicle report was completed. The MVR showed no fewer than four accidents on Kevin's record when he was at fault within the past three years. Just one was enough to disqualify him. 
However, it was later discovered that recruiters were often encouraged or coerced to overlook such things and simply get people to sign up and get them to the training facility. Apparently, this was to take advantage of a government hiring incentive, despite the fact that drivers weren't officially hired until after completing CDL school. That is shady additionally the hours of service compliance department whose job it was to monitor driver logs and handle violations had failed to act whenever kevin among many other drivers violated those regulations the reasoning for this so they claimed is that they were overwhelmed with correcting errors in driver logs made by improperly trained drivers as a result they were only allowed to issue notices of non-compliance when the computer flagged consistent violations even the safety department found itself under fire when it was revealed that their own people were telling new drivers not to make use of important safety features on the truck namely you guessed it engine brakes this became such a concern that according to rumor the safety director himself sat in on a new hire orientation and upon hearing the presenter actively discourage the use of engine brakes, removed the presenter from the class on the spot and demanded the orientation course be overhauled as soon as possible. In the end, it came down to the safety personnel being reminded that they were not drivers and had no business giving their opinions in place of facts. The last department to take a major hit was training. After reviewing the company's accident history, it became very clear that many new drivers were not properly trained in several key areas. In order to shorten their time at the training facility, the company preferred to teach students the bare minimum to pass the CDL test and rely on lead drivers to fill in the gaps. The problem with this system was that there was very little in the way of a standardized rubric by which a student's driver's skills could be assessed. Essentially, lead drivers were left to their own devices when training students. Whether or not the student passed or failed was, for the most part, dependent on the lead driver's subjective assessment. There were other issues that were uncovered during the audit that are quite technical, but suffice to say, the company had a lot of problems that needed to be fixed and quick. Despite this, the DOT agreed to withhold prosecution under the condition that the problems were to be fixed within a set period of time. I heard rumors that a few people were fired due to negligence, but I have no way of confirming that. I can only assume that things improved because the company is still in operation to this day. As for me, I finished out my eight-month contract as lead driver. When the contract was fulfilled, I leased the truck under the company's independent contractor program in order to make more money. That was the idea at least. I did that for several months before growing tired of their mismanagement and left to work for another company. I drove long haul for another year before deciding to move into sectors that allowed me to have more of a life outside of a truck cab. Today, I'm fortunate to work for a fantastic outfit that really appreciates its employees and allows me to be home every night and on weekends. As for the ultimate fate of Kevin, I can't say with any real certainty. Despite everything, I don't hate him. I hope he was able to get the help he needed and turn his life around. If so, then at least some good would have come from everything that happened. And there we go. That concludes the Kevin in a Big Rig saga. What a journey. Seven episodes and it's done. There we are. Now, having finished that phenomenal story, it leaves me with just one question, really. And I do want your guys' help in the comments down below. Who is to blame for this? That is what I'm asking. Is it Kevin and his clear ineptitude, his distinct lack of ability to be able to drive and know where he is and also we can't really escape the fact that he genuinely did put his life op's life and other people's lives in danger with his reckless driving or 
do we have to blame the company here? I mean, we saw just then from what OP has heard from from former colleagues, employees of the company, whatever, word of mouth. The level of just malpractice, I guess, that is just rife within the company. You can't just discount that. That has to be a major, major factor in this. Ultimately, Kevin should never have been employed in the first place. I've said it for, you know, a number of episodes now here in the context and, and what's been going on. First of all, he should never have been employed. I think that is clear given the, the medical history of this man and the, the lack of checks that were made by the company in employing him. But then also he should have been fired a lot longer ago than when he was. And then on top of that, we hear all about the other issues with the safety department, training, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just listed them all through there with, with OP's guidance. I mean, it's insane. I actually am leaning towards the fact that how badly can Kevin really be blamed for this? How much does the, the blame lie with him? When in reality, it's the company's fault that he was even in that position in the first place. Guys, get in the comments down below. Let me know what you think. Who is to blame for this debacle, for this seven-part series that, by the way, has been unbelievable to listen to and, and read? Thank you, OP. Who is to blame? Is it Kevin or is it actually the company that employed him in the first place? So I will leave that with you. That is going to do it for this series. It's been wonderful, in my opinion. Let me know if you've enjoyed it down below in the comments and if you want to see more series like this. Don't worry, in the future, all seven parts will probably be made into one long compilation. But if you've missed out on, on an individual episode, they'll all be linked down below in the description and in the pinned comment if you're on YouTube. Actually, I'll make a little playlist right here. Here's a playlist of all the episodes, all seven episodes in this series. I'll call it Kevin in a Big Rig, the playlist. So yeah, click on that. You can watch them all through, listen to them all through if you're on YouTube. If not, again, linked down below. And yeah, let me know your thoughts on that question. And I'll see you guys all tomorrow for some more Reddit content. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.